Our Old Testament reading today comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verses 36 through 38. And the men whom Moses sent out to spy on the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report about the land died by a plague of the Lord. Of those men who sent out, who went out to spy on the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephumelet, remained alive. Well, good morning. I greet you this morning um, with, with joy and, and gladness on this Lord's Day to minister to you all uh, and to those at home watching uh, our live stream. We're continuing in this series, Misquoted. I think this is the second to last sermon. We've got, we had seven sermons. And um, if, you, if you've sort of been in and out, the sermons are online. And what we've done is we've dealt with uh, verses of Scripture that have been sort of misinterpreted or taken out of context. And so far, just like to recap, uh, we did the sermon. One sermon was, uh, Your Body is a Temple. Um, we sort of talked about the true context of that. Uh, God is love, which is uh, a popular one. Judge not. All these verses that sort of our culture takes and reuses for their own purpose. And we said, no, what does the Bible really say? What is, what is the true context? And so this morning, uh, the title of our sermon is Not More Than You Can Handle. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, in 2004, an insurance company had a series of commercials um, that got really popular, and you may still use the phrase from those commercials today. Uh, it was, there were a series of um, idyllic situations that were abruptly interrupted by some mid-level crisis. In one of the commercials, there's a woman sort of in her car daydreaming about a tropical location, a vacation with palm trees, and it is you know, abruptly interrupted as she crashes into the back of a landscaping truck with many palm trees. And the statement on the screen pops up, life comes at you fast. Who remembers that? Remember that? No? Life comes at you fast? Yeah. It was just a series of funny commercials where, you know, um, Something enjoyable or idyllic or, or fun is interrupted by a crisis where you need insurance. It was an insurance commercial. But they were so popular and they became sort of a cultural colloquialism because it's true. Life does come at you fast. It was sort of brilliant marketing. Um, and we're always balancing, aren't we, the things we want to do in life against the things that life forces us to deal with whether it's a crisis or a catastrophe or a tragedy or calamity or just darn right inconveniences. You're walking out the door and the toilet gets clogged and you've got to stay and un unplug it or you're on your way to a wedding and you get a flat tire or um, lightning strikes an old tree in the backyard and comes crashing down in your garage. Of course, there are much more serious crises than that, but you get the idea. We're always managing life amidst the crises you know, whether they're big or they're small, and that's what it means to sort of live life. One popular song lyric from a few years ago says, there's no shortcut to a dream. 
It's all blood and sweat, and life is what you manage in between. And it's true. Life comes at you fast. But somewhere in our management of the disasters and crises in our life is the hope that someone, somewhere, hopefully God, is only doling out the trouble in manageable doses. He's only giving you or allowing you to experience sort of what you can manage or what you can handle. And maybe during some crisis, someone has said to you, uh, you know, don't worry. God won't give you more than you're able to handle. And I suspect every one of us probably at some point in time has either said it or, you know, maybe, you know, we, we all have. I mean, I have at one time. God, don't worry. God won't give you more than you can handle. As if God is saying, I'll give her a miscarriage, she can handle it. Or I'll give him unemployment, he can handle it. Maybe the idea or the theology behind that is sort of backed up by the book of Job. For those who are familiar, Satan and God are having a conversation and God says, well, you can do this to him, but don't do that. And we, it seems like that's a legitimate takeaway from the story of Job, that God knew what Job could handle. But when you read the book of Job, you realize Job couldn't handle it. <laughs> I mean, he completely fell apart. He said, well, Job didn't sin with his lips. Yes, he did. In the first chapter, he didn't, but as the book goes on, he was all over the place. I mean, he was frustrated and angry with God. I mean, it was, it was a total mess. Because, you know, who can handle those things, right? Who can handle the loss of a child? Who can handle a divorce? Who can handle a family member falling away from the faith? We can't handle those things. Those things are too much to handle. We certainly don't want to handle and the reason that the statement needs to be challenged is because it's simply not true. God often gives us more than we can handle. He does it all the time. In fact, right now, you may be experiencing something that feels like more than you can handle. So where do we get this idea from? Well, it's not just a verse taken out of context, it's actually a complete misquotation. So let's read 1 Corinthians 10 and 12 for some context and some background. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. There it is. There's the actual quotation. But with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As always, when you're dealing with the Bible, context is king. Context is king. You have to know the context. And the context here, Paul is warning the Corinthians. Now, if, if you've ever read the book of Corinthians, you know a little bit about the book of Corinthians. Of all of the churches Paul writes to, the Corinthians were like a total disaster. They were, they, they, they were a community that carried in their sort of pagan assumptions about morality into their Christianity, and there was, it was just a mess. In fact, Paul's 
strongest words of rebuke in all of his letters were for the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, I mean, he's just, he's taking the Corinthians to task for some of the vile practices that had crept into the church. In fact, 2 Corinthians, he's kind of cleaning it up. Like, hey, 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 I, I love you, I do love you. But, you know, I wrote to you saying this because, you know, you, guys, you can't do this. This is out of control. And so he is giving for the Corinthians, as he's talking to them about sin and temptation, he's giving them the background of the ancient nation of Israel. He's talking to them about the ways that they failed and gave into temptation and committed sin and displeased God, and there's sort of a cautionary tale. Now, I don't know that any one of us, if we were the ancient Israelites, would have done any better, but they're an example. And just a part of the larger context, I don't have a slide, but I'll read from it. This is what Paul says. They, the Israelites, they all drank from the spiritual rock, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. And those of you who are familiar with the story um, know that the Israelites failed big time. They get out there, they cross the Red Sea, and it's not long before they're melting down the gold and making a golden calf to worship. They're murmuring, they're rebelling against Moses, they're choosing other leaders, Korah. You know, there's all, there's all there's just, it's just a mess. And God judged many of them. They rebelled against Moses, they murmured against God, they blasphemed. And Paul is saying, they're an example to you about what not to do. They didn't overcome their temptations, but they gave in to their temptations. Now, this is important, I'll tell you why, because we interpret this verse, or people interpret this verse in Corinthians thinking it's about suffering, when it's about actually temptation. So, the statement, God won't give you more than you can handle, is sort of related to, like, trouble in our life, suffering in our life, but this verse isn't about that. It's about temptation. It's about dealing with and confronting temptation. And Paul wants us to look to the ancient Israelites. They're God's people, but they're a cautionary tale in the past, and this is what he says in verse 11. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. They were too confident, Paul wants us to see, in their own ability. The Israelites were confident in their own ability. They didn't sort of have a, a, a theology of depravity, if you can put it that way. They didn't realize that they were sinners who in their own strength couldn't overcome temptation. And Paul warns the Corinthians who were having a very similar experience. They are living their Christian life sort of in their own strength and they are failing miserably at it. And I want to say to all of you that if you live your Christian faith in your own power and in your own strength, thinking that you can just sort of bear up under the weight of sin, you can't. You can't handle that. You can't. They failed miserably at it, the Corinthians did. And as I mentioned a minute ago, there, were, there was a disaster. It was just a disaster of a situation. In fact, some of the theology we glean from Paul today was forged in the fire of dealing with the Corinthians. 
some of our communion practices, practices about uh, thoughts about marriage. Like a lot of Paul's theology is written down for us as in a reaction to the Corinthians and the things that they were doing because all sorts of sins had crept in. But they had too much confidence in their own ability to please God. And this is what Paul wants us to say. Number one, I want us to see this. We sin when we're overconfident. Look at what Paul says. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Sort of an admonition to self-examination. To looking at yourself, examining your own heart and your life, and not being too confident in yourself, in your own ability. When we did our series on prayer, we talked a lot about how Jesus was always praying. And then we're talking about the Son of God here, not having too much confidence in his own ability, but needing to go to the Father and the Spirit to be able to do the ministry that he was given. And if that's true for the Son of God, why wouldn't it be true for us? Why wouldn't it be true for you? We sin. We fall into temptation. We fail when we're overconfident. And Paul says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever uh, been going along in your faith and really been trucking along and feeling really, really good about yourself? Like you were you know, really humming along and pleasing God and sort of like, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm doing this good here and something happened and bang. You know, you fell into some trap or some temptation and failed and you sinned and then you sort of, how did that happen? It just, it just came on you quickly. Maybe it's not an overt act or a, maybe it's a thought. Maybe you lost your cool with your spouse and you said things you regretted or you, there's all kind of situations where that happens to us. Maybe it's not the major league sins, you know, like murder and adultery, but, you know, we're always kind of in the minor leagues, aren't we? This is one reason why we believe in regular confession, because it reminds us that we can't place confidence in our flesh, right? When you confess regularly, you're reminding yourselves, hey, like, I need your help, Lord. Now, maybe you sinned or gave into temptation because you felt, and maybe we can feel sometimes that, we are under extraordinary circumstances. We're, we're a special case. We give in to sin because the devil's really after us in a really special way. But Paul says this, secondly, look at this. Our temptations are not unique. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Remember, we're talking about the true context of this verse, this passage. It's about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you. That isn't common to man. We're living in the 21st century, and there are all sorts of newfangled ways to sin, aren't there? Technology and what's going on, you know, sort of uh, in our world. Not, not just technology online, but even like medical technology, you know, the ability to clone a human being. There's all these weird new challenges that we're facing, but like Paul is saying, there's nothing new under the sun. They're just old sins under a new heading. The Corinthians weren't exclusively tempted by Satan. They were just ignorant of his devices, and Paul wants us to be warned of the same thing too. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of 
Satan's devices. You know, any temptation you face, so take a moment and just think about the temptations that are facing you right now. Temptations maybe you can't share with the closest people in your life, your spouse, oh, that only God knows, okay? Think about them for a moment. And realize that this is par for the course. I think one of the things I want to do as a pastor is encourage you all to know that if you feel like you alone exclusively are missing the mark, disappointing God, everyone else is sort of getting it, all, you know, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people sitting next to you in the pew, they must really have their lives together, but you're the one with the messed up life. I just want to say, just like throw that out of your mind, okay? We're all messed up. <laughs> We're all struggling every single day to live faithful before the face of God. Every single day, we're confronting our own sins. I lead a discipleship group on Monday night with a few men, and there are times where we have sort of like prayer requests, and one of the things that's really helpful about those moments is to realize, oh, you've got the same struggles I do, or you're having similar struggles. Someone asked me recently, about the discipleship group, and I said, yeah, it's really helpful because it demonstrates that like anyone who acts like they're sort of, you know, they've got it all together, they're just pretending, right? We're all at different stages in our development and maturity as believers, but like we're all messed up, and this is why we need the Lord. This is why we need Jesus because we can't do it in our own strength. Yes, our temptations are not unique, but in our own power, we, we fail. We can't be too confident in ourselves. So Paul says, take heed, examine yourself, look at your life for any open doors to sin that need to be shut. Maybe there are certain habits that on the surface are not overtly sinful, but are leading you into different sins. Maybe relationships that need examining. Maybe there are harmful relationships. Or ways of thinking that need correcting. And then he says, you're not special. Your temptations are by and large the same as everyone else. There's nothing new under the sun. So those are the first two points of his words here to the Corinthians. And then finally, this is what he says. And this is the key. This is the focal point of what we're talking about this morning. God gives us a way out. But with the temptation, God will also provide a, a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this is the passage that we misinterpret. God won't give you more than you can handle. Doesn't say that. <laughs> Don't know that it says anything like that here. It's talking about temptations, not talking about suffering. And this is what God says. Um, God will not allow us to be in any circumstance where there is a temptation that we cannot make the right decision with. We need to know that God doesn't place us in situations where we can't escape wicked and evil circumstances that lead us to sin. God doesn't trap us in by temptation. That's, that's not what God does. Another passage says that let no one say when they're tempted that God tempted them. Now, sometimes the word tempt and test 
are sort of interchangeable. So God tests us, but he doesn't try to test us with sin. God does test us with circumstances. He tries and tests and fortifies our faith through the things we go through. But God is not setting us up like, you know, there's some, there's, I don't know if there's any like ex-law enforcement people in here. I'm not bashing on law enforcement. But I have to admit, like, there are some law enforcement practices that seem like setting people up sometimes, you know? Uh, whether it is someone who, I, I saw recently the, uh, the story of Ruby Ridge. I don't know if anyone knows the story of Ruby Ridge with Randy Weaver. And Randy Weaver was a guy who moved to the mountains of Idaho. And uh, he was just down and out. And he was sort of a hunter, and he was out there in the woods. And the FBI approached him as sort of an undercover local, asking if, they, if he could they, he would act like they were local. Asked if he could saw off the end of a shotgun. And he sort of messed with firearms, and he was a hunter, and he was an outdoor guy, and he said, well, sure. I, and he said, I'll pay you 300 bucks. He goes, okay, I'm kind of hurting for money. And he saws off the end of the shotgun, you know, because he's got tools, and then they bust him for violating a federal crime. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, like setting him up. And if you know the story of Ruby Ridge, it was this disaster in the mountains of Idaho involving the FBI and Randy Weaver and his wife and his son were killed. It was just a, um, a really ugly and horrifying situation, but... God doesn't do that. God doesn't sort of like lure us into sin so that he can bust us. That's just not the way God functions. And Paul wants the Corinthians to see that. And he wants you to see that. That God, far from trying to get you to sin, is actually trying to give you a way out from sinning. He says with the temptation, whatever temptation you encounter, God will provide a way of escape that you can endure it. The word here, the Greek word for escape, uh, denotes like an army in a, trapped in a mountain gorge or rugged country which manages to escape from an impossible situation through like a narrow mountain pass. So like in any other circumstance, it would seem that you're destined for failure, but God gives you a way of escape from temptation. You don't have to sin is what Paul is saying. You don't have to give in. You can flee or resist. But there's never a time when we, we're talking about followers of Christ now, okay? Part of our faith means that we're united to Christ and we're set free from the bondage of slavery. Which means like, in some ways, like a reset button has been hit. We're no longer like in bondage to, to, and slavery to sin. We're free. Which means we don't have to sin. We have God's power working in us, enabling us to resist temptation. And this is what Paul wants you and I to see. There's never a time when we have to give in to temptation. And when we sin um, overtly, we, theologians call it like sins of commission, um, we've made the choice to do that. You know, the big, the big sins that we actually commit you know, overtly like that, we're making choices, and Paul is saying that we can make a choice not to sin. And so God, Paul wants us to know, isn't, he's not um, on the sidelines of our lives. He's not just a spectator. He's concerned, he's active. He'll always make a way out, and we can, can't count, we can count on God's help. We can endure any temptation if we seek God's strength to resist or a way of escape. Where do I get these categories from? Well, just scripture. 
couple verses there, right? We can either resist or we can flee temptation. And sometimes you have to do one or the other. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you, but flee fornication, right? So sometimes you can be in a tempting situation and pray and ask God for his strength and the Holy Spirit will strengthen you to resist it. But then there are other circumstances where you gotta leave. Fornication's one of them. Think of the story of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. He got out of there, left his you know, coat behind. He was out the door. But between those two options, there's escape. Resisting and fleeing. And sometimes you have to do both or one or the other. Not to give in to temptation. If you can't resist it, flee from it. Some sins you need to exert some spiritual power to overcome, and some are so strong that you have to physically remove yourself. And not doing that is essentially having too much confidence in the flesh. It's being overconfident. And I suspect that there are and have been times in every one of your lives where you knew you had to get out of a situation, you had to leave the place. Whatever it was, wherever it was, whoever you were with, you knew, I gotta get out of here. And some sins are like that. But unless someone is sort of holding a gun to your head, you have options. You do not have to give in to temptation. So why is there so much confusion about this verse? Well, again, the answer lies in the fact that people confuse the subject matter. It's not about suffering, it's about temptation. But let's see if we can apply for a moment this to suffering. Let's see, let's see if we can make it work. The sort of God won't put on you more than you're able to bear suffering and trouble in your life. Let's, let's see if it'll work here for a minute, okay? We all know we live in a broken world, and as a result, we experience suffering in all different shapes and sizes. And Jesus was clear when he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. So the reason for our suffering is mixed. We experience suffering simply because the world is broken, and some trials that come our way is the direct result of our sin. And there are other trials we bear as the result of someone else's sin. Right? We're people living in a broken world. We've both sinned and been sinned against, and suffering results from all of these. But we don't suffer. This is key, okay? Remember this. We don't suffer because God has looked around and decided that we can handle it and we're strong enough. In fact, it's quite the opposite. So here's the strong critique, okay? Paul calls us jars of clay, fragile, frail, brittle, and breakable. Paul doesn't end with declaring our weakness. He goes on to say that our frailty actually points us to God's strength. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're not the strong ones. God is. And suffering should point us 
Not to our strength, but to God's. So in a word, you can't handle it. God doesn't put on you more than you're able to bear as if you can handle it, not more than you can handle, because, well, you can't handle it. Whatever you are handling is by his strength and in his power, and you're not really handling it. He is. I think the cause for this sort of misinterpretation or outright misquote is we have an inaccurate view of ourselves. It places the focus on us instead of God. And if I'm honest with myself, I want to believe. I can handle it. God allows that, this in my life because he looked at me and said, Jordan, Jordan can handle it. I got, I've got confidence in him. I think we'd like to believe that. I think I wanted to believe that for a long time, and I realized I can't handle it. We can't handle it. The minute a crushing trial comes your way, it crushes you. You don't sort of shake it off. It crushes you. It devastates you. You have sleepless nights with tears and prayers, agony in your heart and your mind, questioning God at times. That's what trials do because you can't handle it. Now, this would be a better, more theologically sound encouragement to offer a friend in need if we said, like the song, Jesus loves me when we are weak, he is strong. That's, that's, that's better advice. You know? When we're weak, he is strong. So when we tell people God will never give them more than they can handle, we're ultimately saying that they're stronger than they are. The truth of the matter is you and I are much weaker than we like to believe. But praise be to God. He is bigger and stronger, wiser and kinder than we can ever imagine. And so when suffering comes our way, we need to learn to run where David ran. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, David said in Psalm 61. God is the rock, not us. God's the one who can handle it. We can't. And so when the trials and suffering come, may we offer true encouragement to both our souls and the souls of our friends because God will never give us more than he can handle. Let's pray. Father, thank you now for your true word which you've given to us written down for our instruction, encouraging us, warning us, preparing us, instructing us, O oh God. Help us not to have confidence in ourselves, in our own ability. Help us also not to know that you are sitting back um, in some capricious way, just sort of doling out suffering to us, because that's not how it works. Help us to realize that suffering came into this world through the fall, through sin, and that you, far from giving us suffering, you are giving us your strength and power through the Holy Spirit to survive, to endure. Help us to look at this passage in a new light and to realize that we can't handle it, but you can. Help us, O oh God, to realize that you are also strengthening us 
to overcome temptation. And let us, when we fail and do give in to temptation, look to the gospel of Christ and to know that we are yours on account of Jesus' sacrificial atoning death and faith in his perfect atoning work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.